the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If you've heard the show before, you've heard the show before, uh, you pretty well know the format. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going to court, avoiding probate, and that's very important in today's world. And as far as elder law is concerned, our main goal for most of our clients is to save our house, our home, from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about history, politics, religion, charitable giving, and we'll go into that a little bit further later. But as you know, we usually start with one of our attorneys here, and we have with us Wei. Wei, welcome to the show again. Hi, everyone. My name is Wei Zhong. I'm one of the newly hired attorneys here. Okay, so um, you have one announcement to make now. Need, you know, a higher percentage of, uh, of our Asian clients are in Bayside, Queens, and we are moving our Bayside office. Uh, actually, by the time you hear the show, we have been moved. So what's our new address in Bayside? Sure. Our uh, new address in Bayside is 42-40 Bell Boulevard, Suite 604 in Bayside, New York. And that's one block north of Northern Boulevard on Bell Boulevard. And actually, the you know, it's on 43rd Avenue there, but uh, it, it's access easy access for disabled people there's a, a back uh entrance which is street level if you you drive by there and you see a couple of steps up front we'll go to the back entrance and the back entrance is level and then there's an elevator to take you to the sixth floor but what what question are you we're going to be talking about today way sure we got one question when me and my husband first got our property i wasn't put on the deed due to credit issues I did, however, put money into purchasing the property. Should I get my name on the deed? Yeah, well, the, 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 the short answer is probably. Of course, your husband may have a different opinion on that. But, you know, like if, God forbid, your husband passes away 
and it's his name alone on the deed, you have to probate his will, and hopefully he has a will to be able to sell that house or do anything with the house. What happens if his name's on the deed and something happens to him and he does not have a will? Well, then the house would pass half to his wife, roughly, and then half to his children. And a lot of people don't realize that, and that can cause a lot of complications. Let's say one of the children is uh, young, you know, a minor, or not even a minor, but even, you know, a teenager, late teenager, legally of age. But that child would own part of this house. And if you want to sell the house, it's going to be a problem. And because, again, the child owns the house. If you do not have a will and you're married, half your assets go to your spouse. There's a little extra goes to the spouse, but roughly half your assets go to your spouse. And the other half go to your children. And sometimes that leads to, to very bad results if the children are underage and the children are underage and they can't, you know, sign a deed. You may need a court order to sell the house. And then the money may be tied up in court until the child is 18. And really, do you want a child to get the proceeds from the sale of the house at 18? So it is a no-win situation. It's If you have property in your name alone, you're married, you need to do a will. I mean, it's as simple as that. Now, if you want to avoid going through court and you're in good terms with your spouse, then you put your spouse's name on the deed. You make it basically husband and wife or married couple. And then if something happens to one of them, the house passes automatically to the other one. So let's say, and, and usually tax-free. You give this example every once in a while, but let's say you got a million-dollar house. You paid a couple of hundred thousand dollars for the house some years back, and it's worth a million dollars today. Husband dies today, and this is why I'm saying usually tax-free. The house is worth a million dollars today. The wife inherits the husband's half, let's say $500,000, and so she gets that half, $500,000 tax-free. Assuming it's the personal primary residence, the wife will get $250,000 tax-free from, you know, if it's her personal residence. I think most of you know that if you if you sell your personal residence, the first $250,000 of capital gain is not taxed. In addition now, if she sells the house within two years of her husband's passing, she keeps her his $250,000 for the sale of the personal residence. So we get 500 tax-free, the stepped-up basis on the husband's half, $250,000 tax-free from the wife's $250,000 exclusion, $250,000 tax-free from the husband's exclusion, provided she sells within two years of the husband's death. So that would be a million dollars tax-free. Then we would factor in what they paid for the house, how much money they put into the house. So in this case, we'd probably be at least $1.2, $1.3 million dollars before any tax would be due. And if you're selling your house and you want to come to us to go over the numbers, I'm, I'm more than happy to go over the numbers. And I know some of you say, hey, he talks way too fast for me to write these numbers down. If, if you want to go over it, call for an appointment. We'll talk it over. You can call for an appointment. We have offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, Manhattan. Now, we have two offices in Queens, one in Bayside, which we are moving from Northern Boulevard to Bell Boulevard, not much more than 13 blocks. And we have an office in Middle Village, Queens, on Metropolitan Avenue. So if you want to call for an appointment, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500.
Now, wait, where where did you grow up? Oh, I grew up in uh, China. It's northeastern part of China. It's very close to Russia and in, uh, Mongolia border. Mm -hmm. So, what what is it like there? It's cold. Like, <laughs> oh no, compared to here, it's gonna be freezing right now. Like, um, it's almost snows every day during winter time. But like when I went to when I went to me uh, middle school, I went to uh, like a coastal city in northeastern part of China, which is wa much warmer here there. Okay. So um, what province for our audience? Oh, uh, it's called Liaoning Province, and it's a beautiful city called Dalian. Okay, wonderful. And then where did you go to college? Uh, I went to uh, CUNY Brook College here in New York City, and then I went to Pace Law School. Okay, and you've passed the bar. You're still kind of waiting for your papers to go yes, through, which takes e a long time right now. Yeah, it's extremely long, but it's worth waiting. I hope so. <laughs> now, one of the things I probably should have mentioned, some people would ask, we talked about the $250,000 exclusion. Some people would ask, if I'm not on the deed, can I get that 250000 exclusion? And no, that's not a reason necessarily to change the deed. If a married couple sells a house and they're married and they file a joint return, whether the wife's name, in this case, in our example, if the wife's name is on the deed or not, she still can sell $500,000 tax-free, husband and wife. Your name doesn't have to be on the deed to get that 250 exclusion. It has to be your primary residence, and you should file a joint return between husband and wife to get that. And I should have mentioned that a, a little bit earlier. And, you know, if, if you have any questions, don't be afraid to email the questions in. Michael, where do they send us the email questions? If you want to send us an email question... You just want to go to askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Right, and we'll answer any question. If it's not appropriate to answer on the radio, then we'll you know send you an email because sometimes the questions get a little bit personal. My son has a problem with drugs or um, my husband may be leaving me, things like that. So if it's it's that type of question which we shouldn't be talking about in the air in public then we'll you know email you back or one of our attorneys will give you a call but again don't be shy if you want an appointment with us give us a call at 718-238-6500 718-238-6500 we do not charge for the first consultation the first consultation is free and especially anything we're talking about estate planning and elder law and speaking about estate planning and elder law um michael where do they get our youtube um, if you want to if you want to check out one of our seminars, uh, all you have to go is do is go to youtube.com and put in the search bar. I mean, I imagine most of us are familiar with YouTube by this point, but go to youtube.com and put in the search bar Connors and Sullivan video seminar. Connors and Sullivan video seminar. Connors spelled C O N N O R S. And you should be able, it's going to be a long video right at the beginning, um, should be one of the first results. So, yeah, and you should see Dad right there. Yeah, and, you know, some some of those, it, it's a little long. Uh, usually if I do the, the seminar in person, I can I speed it up a little bit, but it comes up a little long. But if, if you want, if you want to ask a specific question, 
give us a call, come into the office, and we'll talk it over. Now, if you want to, you know, see us in a little bit more exciting vein, you can see the Toy Soldier Collection on YouTube also, which has got a lot more hits. I think we're up to 275,000 hits on the Toy Soldier Collection. So where do you get that one, Michael? On YouTube again. Yeah. Um, Michael Connor's Toy Soldier Collection would be, that's going to be one of the search results that gets it for you. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a great video. And it's also one of the more interesting videos that you can find on our YouTube channel is Michael Connor's Steve Forbes on Toy Soldiers. Yeah, but that doesn't have 275,000 hits. No, it but, does not. But maybe it should get more hits. Yeah. Way you know, you know, most of the toy soldiers that I have in the display in the office, they're made in China. Oh, really? Yes, of yeah, course. Prices, I imagine. Yeah. Prices have gone through the roof in the last couple of years. <laughs> but um, but also we've added to the collection since then, so I would recommend you come through and take a look for yourself. Right. Because, you know, our, our staff are perfectly happy to help, you know, guide you through the collections and everything else. I think a lot so. of them are a little reluctant to do that, but I don't care. <laughs> they, they... And not to mention, I've added, you know, Dad's a specialist in Civil War stuff, but I've added to my office a Crusader collection. So you might enjoy that as well. All right. So in any event, we're going to take a short break. Thank you for listening to us on Ask the Lawyer. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with uh, me, Mike Connors. And you know, in the previous in the previous segment, we talked about, you know, a deed 
in the husband's name alone and if something happened to the husband what would you know what would we do and i just want to stress because i think it gets forgotten a lot because it's it's not a, a common problem but it's a problem that occurs is that we want to avoid probate between husband and wife you know a lot of people are on the misconception that if um you know between husband and wife it automatically passes to the other that's not true um and let's say a husband has a house in his name alone he's got a wife he's got children he dies without a will well the house will pass roughly half to his wife and half to the children and you know you say well what's so bad about that well it it, it might not be too good if the children are minors and they can't legally sign their own names and of course one of the tough complications we have in today's world is let's say the spouse the children that spouse in this case we're talking about wife she's not the mother of the children that can cause severe complications you know and that's why you need to do some kind of plan and even between husband and wife it's important to avoid probate let's say husband has a business property he bought it before he was married the business or the property let's say the deed to the property is in his name alone when he dies he has a will he leaves it all to his wife oh no problem it should automatically go to her no let's say it's a second marriage one of the children from the first marriage a little bit jealous of the wife doesn't really like the wife they don't get along and I, I think that's a fairly common and natural set of circumstances especially if there was a divorce but even if the if the first wife dies a lot of times the children resent their father marrying somebody else so let's say for the sake of argument the husband dies he has a business a business property in his name alone he leaves that to his wife he's made other arrangements for his children well one of the children doesn't like the wife they file objections to the will they hold up that property in court for years and you know it's it's part of a fact of life in today's world but if you object to a will 90 95% of the time there's a settlement involved it's just the fact of life in today's world because the court procedures the processes take so long somebody wants to give in one side or the other and you know it gets settled and and forget even you know like let's say everybody gets along husband and wife husband has business property he leaves it to his wife they have the same children all the children consent they file consents in court and you get like in Brooklyn we had the one judge who didn't sign a single court order for 18 months which means maybe you got a mortgage on this property you got a buyer you can't get a court order to sell the property you're stuck maybe for two years trying to sell the property while the mortgage is being paid the the property's vacant because you wanted to sell it and you don't want to put another business in there because then you couldn't easily sell that property um and and the wife is caught she's paying the mortgage every month maybe she can't afford to pay the mortgage and the property is just sitting there deteriorating in some cases so it, it's important to avoid probate even between husband and wife even when everybody you know gets along and some people think well, you know, wait a minute, I thought if, if I died without a will, everything would go to my spouse. That ain't true. Half goes to the spouse, half goes to the children. And if one of the children passes away, it could go to the grandchildren. 
So things can get complicated. The first step is to do a will to make sure you know who you want it to. But if you want to avoid probate and if you own real estate, the best way to do it is through a trust agreement. And basically, let's say for the sake of argument, you want the property separate, you want conditions on the property, let's say it is a second marriage, and you want your spouse to get the income from this property, let's say rental property or whatever from the sale, it's invested, and the spouse gets the income from the property, and then it goes to the children. And I mean, that's a fairly common plan with the second wife type of situation, a second spouse type of situation. So, you know, and that also goes back to the question, if you have a trust, if somebody asks me, can I do this in a trust, can I do that in the trust, the answer is almost always yes. Tell us what you want to do in the trust, we'll do it, we'll put it in writing. And, you know, another confusion too, husband and wife, do you guys have power of attorney? No, we don't have power of attorney, we don't need power of attorney, we're married. And, you know, doesn't doesn't the spouse automatically get power of attorney if something happens to the husband? No. And again, this could be important because let's say we got a husband and wife. Husband has a massive stroke. He has to go to a nursing home. And the wife wants to transfer assets, or at least we advise her to transfer assets from husband and wife to wife. Then wife can apply for Medicaid for her husband. If she doesn't have a power of attorney and the husband is not mentally competent to sign his own name, then the wife has to go to court and get a court-appointed guardian, and hopefully she'll be the guardian, but she'll still have to ask permission from the court to transfer the assets from husband and wife to wife. The court, one, there may be delays. Obviously, there are delays in today's world. And number two, the judge may not say it because maybe they're second, their kids from a second marriage or a prior marriage or whatever who don't consent to this, and the the judge doesn't do anything because he's not sure because the family members are, are fighting. It's very important between husband and wife to have a power of attorney. Give you an example again. The husband has a massive stroke. He has to go to a nursing home. There's no choice. He has assets in his name alone, maybe a stock portfolio, maybe a business, maybe a house. So it's in his name alone. He has to go to a nursing home. The average cost of a nursing home right now in New York City is easily over $15,000 a month. It's closer to seventeen or 18000 in a lot of parts of the city. If you're living in Manhattan, it's going to cost more. So if the wife can't afford to pay that nursing home bill, and who can afford to pay a $16,000, $17,000 a month nursing home bill? If the wife can't afford to pay that bill, and let's say there's pro- property in the husband's name alone, investment property or whatever, She's got to wait to get a court order to transfer the assets. Meanwhile, she's paying fifteen, sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars a month, and obviously that can be very, very painful. And if you want to avoid that, we do a power of attorney where the husband specifically gives the wife the ability to transfer assets and can apply for Medicaid. Right now, there's no look back period on transfers between spouses. Husband transfers everything to wife's name. Let's say during the month of December on January 1st, the first day of the month following the transfer, the wife on behalf of her husband, if she has a good power of attorney, can apply for Medicaid, whether it's home care or nursing home, and do a spouse refusal and the husband will get Medicaid. Now, planning for the wife is the next step because we've got to protect her assets because they're, they're kind of out on a limb right now, but at least the first crisis situation is dealt with and the husband can get Medicaid, and the wife's not paying $17,000 a month in nursing home bills. 
And if you don't have a power of attorney, again, you got to go to court to transfer the assets. If it takes the court six months, and in today's world that would be a lot, that could cost you $100,000. Obviously, six times $17,000 is over $100,000. So, and, and that's not to say that, you know, let's say we get another COVID outbreak or something like that, and the courts slow down to a crawl again. I'm not saying it will happen, but it could happen. You got to plan in advance. There's no automatic right between husband and wife to sign each other's name. Let's just say they have a house together. Husband's in a nursing home. He was working. He had income. Now the wife can't afford to keep the house going because she's lost her husband's income, and she wants to sell the house and move somewhere else. She cannot sell the house, even though the deed may be both names, husband and wife, in effect, joint tenants, what we call tenants by the entirety. She can't sell the house without a court order. And again, that can be very aggravating if she can't pay the mortgage and she has to go to court to try to sell the house. She's got a buyer for the house, but she can't close until the court says it's okay. And courts are working. They're still backlogged and they're slow. And even if it takes six months, which is fast, six times 17 is more than $100,000. So if, if you know, you're married, you trust your spouse, you want to protect your spouse, in case you get sick, you want to be protected in case your spouse gets sick, I would strongly recommend you think about doing a power of attorney. And at the same time, if you have a son or daughter you implicitly trust, or a nephew or niece or another relative who's like a son or daughter, you, you know, you trust them, I'd put, your on, uh, put them on the power of attorney. Now, again, at the same time, don't put just anybody on a power of attorney because if you give it to the wrong person, they can wipe you out, they can steal you blind, and that happens. So you got to be a little careful if somebody's trying to angle to be your power of attorney. But you got to ask yourself this question, who do I trust more? And I would say, you know, like family is not always the, the right answer, but on average... I would go with family first. You know, so uh, again, if you want to be protected in case your spouse gets sick, you want to protect your spouse in case you get sick and you're not able to handle your affairs in a competent manner, then we do a power of attorney. If you want, we could put language in the power of attorney that the power of attorney cannot be used unless a medical doctor or a psychiatrist, maybe a psychologist, I don't like that, I prefer a medical doctor, certify that you're not able to handle your affairs in a competent manner. And then the power of attorney can go into effect, and you can put somebody in place to pay your bills, protect your assets, God forbid you suffer from a stroke or another disabling illness. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. And if you want to talk about doing a power of attorney with our office, please give us a call at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. 
now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for. Because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a charity organization called Guild for Exceptional Children. And right now, we're very pleased to have the CEO of the Guild, Joseph Riley. Welcome to Connor's Corner. Thank you much. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Now, we have been talking about the Guild over the last couple of weeks. You had a great dinner a little while ago. Um, and, you know, we, we, actually, one of the things we are talking about last week is how much fun your children had at that dinner, dancing and so forth. You know, it wasn't like the staid, usual fundraising dinner that we usually attend. But um, tell, tell us about the program and who are your clients and who do you help? Well, sure. Um, the Guild for Exceptional Children um, provides services to children and adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, we have a school where uh, young children, uh, three to five, ages three to five, who have developmental delays, developmental disabilities go. And, um, and they, we have specialists there, therapists, special teachers, uh, special education teachers who help them along and help them to um, to to accommodate to their disability. Um, we also run a group homes, uh, we call them residences, where adults with developmental disabilities live and they're kind of scattered throughout Brooklyn um, and uh, part of, they're part of the Brooklyn community. And we have day habilitation programs for adults that still live at home, primarily with their families, but need to learn things during the day and, and, you know, and uh, develop some skills. So we've been doing this for quite a while now, 64 years. We're, we'll be celebrating our 65th anniversary next year. Um, so um, we're very proud of the work we do. And you're right. You mentioned the, the, the celebration that we had the other day. Um, the individuals that we serve, they really know how to party. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> and they set a fine example for everyone. If you ever really want to know how to have a good time, attend one of our functions and watch our people because they really know how to let loose. Yeah, <laughs> there's no question about it. And like I said, we talked about it on last week's show. Now, 64 years ago, I, I you know, I was, I was relatively young, but I remember the guild coming into existence. Conklin was the one of the driving menace from the political 
point, but what, why was it founded? What was, what was the problem? So back in 1958, um, you know, this is before all the scandals broke with Willowbrook and the state-operated facilities. Um, there were parents who living in Brooklyn who had uh, disabled children, developmentally disabled children, who aged out of the education system because at the age of 21, 22, then the state education system can no longer serve them. So the parents then are offered a choice. You can, you can, back in the 1950s, they were offered a choice. You can either keep your adult child at home with you and continue to take care of them for the rest of your life, or you can put them in a state-operated facility. Those are really your only two options. Um, the parents at the Guild for Exceptional Children um, didn't, didn't accept those two. They wanted a third option. They wanted to develop a, an organization that would, that would be a stakeholder in this. So um, they developed the Guild and they started with day programs because at that time that was the only thing they could open. So they, they purchased some storefronts on 3rd Avenue in Brooklyn and they opened up some day program sites for since the, their children could no longer go to school they would go to day programs during the day and many of the par parents volunteered to work with the children at the day programs at that time so it was incorporated back then and then in 1970 uh, we opened up the very first group home in in New York uh, the Conklin residence um, on 67th Street and um, Senator Conklin and at the time Assemblyman Luigi Morano co-signed the bill that made it possible for organizations to open up facilities and group homes and day programs and couldn't have come at a better time because it was right around that time a little bit later a year later that the Willowbrook scandal broke and this became now the more acceptable way of doing things the preferred way of doing things was to um, if you had a disabled child was to seek out an organization that you could trust um, that was in a community where people were around and had eyes and ears on on it you know they were part of the community they would live and work in the community and um, that became the preferred model so other organizations were doing the same thing at the same time now those of you i mean willowbrook you're talking it's about 50 years ago so i'm sure a lot of people have no idea when you're talking about when you, you talk about willowbrook I mean, but the scenes that you saw on, on TV were horrific. Can you describe the, the conditions? This was the alternative back then. Yeah, this was the only alternative that uh, parents had back then. And um, it was it was horrific. Uh, you know, the, the wards at Willowbrook and other state-operated institutions were overcrowded. So they'd have, say, 200 people in a ward, but it would be understaffed. They might only have one or two staff members in charge of that ward. Uh, so because of the nature of the disabilities of some of the people and, and their institutionalized behaviors that developed as a result of being in an institution, um, to keep people in line, they would kind of um, tie people to the beds, handcuff them to a radiator. Um, people were allowed to, you know, sleep in a bed in their own waste. Um, meal times were horrific because... Uh, there were accounts of they had to turn over a lot of uh, people in a short amount of time, feed a lot of people in a short amount of time. So often the food was kind of shoved into their mouths uh, by staff, and then led to a lot of choking incidents and aspiration pneumonia incidents. There were a lot of there was a high mortality rate in Willowbrook um, from those conditions, and largely this was hidden from the public because and from the families because they had. Uh, 
announced visitation days. So families would say visit on Sundays, and that would be the day everybody get cleaned up, and you know it would look a lot better when the families came to visit. But um, back at the time, there was an investigation. Families hooked up with one of the doctors who worked at Willowbrook, and they got a key, and they were able to let a news crew in, and they filmed the actual conditions that existed not on family day, and uh, that's when the scandal broke, and the families of people who lived at Willowbrook sued the state of New York and won. It was a class action lawsuit, the Willowbrook class suit, and they won. And that also helped organizations like the Guild for Exceptional Children come into existence because we provided another alternative. And, you know, the state promised to close Willowbrook and the other state operated institutions down. Uh, so that's part of the aftermath of that lawsuit. So what happens to basically your clients, your patients, however you want to call them, what happens now? How, how do they live their lives? So it, the parents still have the choice whether they want to continue to care for their adult child at home. Um, but often if they decide to do that, they still want to have them do something constructive during the day. So um, we have day habilitation programs for that. And we have with walls and without walls day habilitation. With walls is uh, a little more restrictive in that uh, the, the most of the activities are confined to the program where they'll be doing some educational activities, some you know, working with money, working with um, developing their skills, that type of a thing, and recreational things as well, having fun, uh, trips and outings, you know. Um, and then um, when parents become really uh, unable to care for their adult children anymore, and this was a big problem, parents, you know, age and then they're no longer able to take care of their adult children, require a lot of care. So um, they try to get their son or daughter into a, into a residential facility, which the Guild has uh, 13 of them. And, um, and that's 24-hour care. We staff it round the clock, 365 days a year. It, we have very compassionate staff. Uh, each house is independently managed by a management team, which will all report to me. And, um, and we have a very good reputation, even with the state auditors, with the quality of care that we run. Our houses are meticulously kept. They fit in with the fabric of the community so that they don't, they don't stand out as anything institutional or anything like that. And many of our people volunteer in the, you know, and I'm talking about the people who live with us and work with us, the, the disabled people we serve. They volunteer in the community. They, they work with some of the local businesses and, you know, um, and they, they get a lot out of that because they develop self-esteem through their, through, through their job you know, what they consider their job, and, and hopefully the business gets something out of it because they're really helping out a developmentally disabled person, and I, I think it makes, it, it's good for the business as well as good for the person. So um, so we have partnerships with a lot of local vendors, a lot of local merchants, um, I know people serve there too. And we we have um, very happy clientele. As, as you saw when you right. came to the party, they are, they're happy uh, with the conditions that that we present and the lives we we help them to attain, um, and they they feel free to express themselves. You know, and there's there's nothing restrictive about what the guild does. The only restrictions we have in place are those that are necessary to keep people safe. You know, how old how old is your range? I mean, what's your oldest client? What's your youngest client? That's uh, a, a good question. Well, in our, our school, as you know, we serve children three to five, so the youngest would be three. But um, in the adult programs. 
we have we have people in their 20s who attend the day program uh to one of our day programs and um we have um our oldest now that we serve in a residence is 97 i believe so uh 96 i think i think she's approaching her 97th birthday so it's getting close mildred goldberg okay. is her name and she's been um she may be i don't I don't want to go on record, but I'm saying she may be the oldest person receiving services in the, in the state of New York. Um, when I started at the Guild um, as a direct support professional back in 1986, uh, I was told, I was kind of warned by management, like, you know, um, at that time the expected lifespan was, was uh, people didn't survive much past 50, you know, who had a developmental disability. Um, so we had already, we were serving people in their forties and thirties and forties. And you know, like, you know, there was that fear that, oh no, when they hit 50, but we've learned and I, and science has progressed and medical science has progressed. We've learned how to take better care of people. So now it's not uncommon. We have quite a few people in their seventies, eighties, and a few in their nineties now. So the age range is pretty broad. <laughs> right. Sorry. It's a long answer for a short question. No, but that's, <laughs> and, and when, when, when when does the transition usually occur from the from let's say home with the family to one of your residences? Well, it's largely depends on the family. So um, if the for and it also is dependent on the state to a certain degree. So the family first has to make the decision. You know, you know, I think um, we're getting to the point where we need a a, a partner. You know, to to provide residential services for for our son or daughter. Um, and, um, and that partner doesn't mean that the family is out of the picture now. Um, many of, many of our people feel like they have two homes. So the, they'll go home on a weekend with, be with their parents, but they'll go to our residence during the week. And, you know, if the parents are capable of doing that, they'll go away sometimes on vacation with their families, or they'll go away on vacation with us or both. You know, um, so the partner, the parents remain partners in this, but they have to make the decision that it's time. And then the other half of it is the state has become a little more uh, selective, I want to say, and restrictive about residential placements, and uh, and for good reason. It's a residential placement is costly. So when you're paying for somebody to move into a residential facility, it costs the state X number of dollars. You know, so. When we have a vacancy, when we have a, a bed that's open, it sometimes takes like a year to fill it because not because we have a lack of people interested, but because the state has put a lot of blockades in the way. They, you know, they, you know, for their own reasons, they they have a lot of people who are receiving services out of state that were sent to state schools, say in Pennsylvania or other states, that they would like to bring back into the system first. With the, that's a problem because um, some of those people have developed institutional behaviors out of state and you're moving them into an existing home where say seven or eight other people live so it's it kind of makes a dangerous mix if we're very careful about when we bring somebody in and fill a vacancy that that they're going to be able to get along with their housemates you know and and uh, and that nobody's going to get hurt or or you know anything like that so but we have to be selective in that process because we have our existing population to take care of and the state really would like 
you know, agencies like the Guild to serve the population that they've targeted that needs the services. So it's kind of like a little bit of a tug of war that goes on um, with getting a bed filled now in a residence. As far as day program, it's the same thing. You know, it's, it costs the state money, the state finances the services that we provide mostly. Some of it is financed through private donations, but the state funds our services, and you know they they want to be very selective about who gets day services. So uh, it used to be everybody who applied would would get five days a week of day services. Now they kind of said, well, do you really need five? Maybe you only need three. Maybe you only need two. You know, so they put a few obstacles in the way, and I understand they're they're watching costs. So we have to do our best to navigate within those boundaries that they've set. All right. If if you have a parent that's interested in taking care of their child through your program, wh who would they contact? How would they find out more? And, and who would they contact within your organization? Okay, so they would contact. Our intake person is Barbara Torres, mm -hmm. and our number is 718-833-6633. And they would ask for Barbara. Probably they would have to leave a message, and then Barbara would call them back. But we're very interested in meeting with people who would like uh, to explore either day services or residential services for their adult uh, with de developmental disabilities. And our school, um, that's a different story. That's Jolene is the principal of the school and they serve children three to five years old, as I mentioned. Um, and I'm trying to remember that number, but if you call the prime number, 718-833-6633, again, they'll get you in touch with Jolene. She's the principal of the school. Now, I know from before we went on the air, you're looking for help right now, correct? Yes. Um, Post-pandemic, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we're in a bind, as I think many businesses are, uh, to be honest. It seems to be all over. But, um, you know, we, we employ, I think we're one of the largest employers in Bay Ridge. We, 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 before the pandemic, we employed 530 people. We're down about 100 from that number. So... So we're about 20% down from the workforce that we would like to be at. But in particular, we need teachers for our school. Um, we need drivers and we need direct support professionals. It's the people who directly care for uh, the people with disabilities. I started my career at the Guild as a direct support professional 36 years ago. And it, it is a very noble job. And, and um, right away, you understand and appreciate the impact you're having you're having. Yeah. Now, I know obviously everything today, there's a lot of government money involved, but how do you try to make up the difference? Because the government doesn't pay for everything. No, you're right. The government doesn't pay for everything. So we try through fundraisers. We had our autumn uh, fundraising celebration uh, two weeks ago. Uh, we, ha we always have some sort of active campaign going on. On our website, there are ways to donate. There's like a, a way people can text uh, a number to donate or uh, scan a QR code. Um, there are um, many ways people can, you know, one of the big things we're, we're pushing these days is that, you know, sometimes people who are preparing uh, their estate and they want to leave a portion of the estate to some worthy charity. Uh, I can tell you, um, and it's not just because I'm the CEO, I really do, I really do buy this message that this is a worthy charity. And if people are looking for some place to, to donate a portion of, of their estate, um, you know, small, you know, portion or whatever, 
the guilt for exceptional children there's a way to do that on the website as well yeah. so so those and, are some ways people can And this, us. I think this is an important point because there are a lot of people who are charitable-minded, but they're living on a fixed income. And, of course, today with inflation and everything, it's not easy to make ends meet. But in many cases, they have a million-dollar house, a two-million-dollar house, and they can leave a portion, whatever it is, to a charitable beneficiary. And in a lot of cases, there, there are a lot of people in Brooklyn who don't have children. And even those people who do have children, you can leave a small portion to to charity and of course it, it is a tax deduction whether you need it for state purposes or not but it still is a tax deduction right right and we're you know this is kind of a relatively untapped area for the guilt for exceptional children so it's something we're we're hoping to make better you know better publicized going forward you know and of course we do have a, a lot of very generous people in brooklyn and outside of brooklyn who will write us a check from time to time or make a donation and you know but it, it's nice to have multiple ways for people to to contribute, you know. Even also another thing is local businesses. Um, we're always looking for sites where our participants, the people we serve, can volunteer and, you know, do something like uh, busing tables or, you know, sweeping out in front of the store, or, you know, washing the windows or anything like that. They get they get a lot of satisfaction out of it. And mm -hmm. um so, you know, we've, we've had great partnerships with some of the local merchants, as I mentioned, and we're always looking for new partnerships to develop in that area. How does the workers' comp, the disability, that kind of stuff work when they use your people? Well, they're volunteers, so mm -hmm. uh, our people are all covered under, you know, we have, we have an extensive workers' comp and disability policy, so our people are all, are all covered under that. I don't think that burden would fall on the, the, um, the businessmen. Okay. So, again, if somebody wants to find out more information, whether it's to volunteer, whether it's to make a contribution, or even looking for a job, give the contacts again, please. Yeah, sure. It's um, www.gecbklyn.org and 718-833-6633. Uh, and if you, you're... If you're going on the computer, just type in Guild for Exceptional Children and you'll get there. It'll come up, yeah. It'll you know, because that'll yeah. be the easiest way to remember things, I guess. Yes, yes. Guild for Exceptional Children. You know, lately we've been saying GEC a lot because, yeah. you know, uh, you know that I think the the tendency is to go towards these acronyms, you know, but the, the name of the organization is Guild for Exceptional Children. So if you type that in, you'll get, you'll I think find that's it. easy to remember yeah. than GEC because <laughs> initials, you know, like, yeah. you kind of. Right. And that could lead you somewhere. There's maybe some other organization with GEC as its initials. Right, right. I didn't think of that one. All right. Yeah. Well, Joseph, thank you very much for coming to Mike, radio. thank you so much for having me. And um, mm -hmm. you, you're, you've been a great influence here in the Brooklyn community for many, many years. And um, certainly somebody that we look up to and that, mm -hmm. you know, we enjoy our relationship with you. And, yeah. and thank you for having me. Yeah. And, you know, bring back memories of Senator Conklin, you know, yeah. because... You know, he was a great man, and great man. you guys remember him, and I think more people should remember him. Yes, yes, he was a great man, and, and one of our residences is named after him. Right, right, yeah, so that's, Conklin you know, residence. God yeah, bless yeah. you for that, among yeah, other things. Yeah. All right, thank you very much for stopping by. Thank you. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? 
These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan, Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.